He's Hacker. I like a good serial killer documentary. He hasn't taken the pounding that wide receivers take. Uh, it's just a pound job, and, and guys are tired towards that, that four minutes. And he doesn't shy away from opinion. I would be lying to you if I said I had not heard things. They're like a bad rash. You hear a lot of things. Some are true, some aren't. It's Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. And a very good Wednesday evening to you, Jacksonville. It is Hacker After Dark, 1010XL, 92.5 FM with Dylan Denmark. The Hacker Ryan Green with you. Glad you are with us. Middle portion of the week. We will keep you updated on Gator basketball. Right now they lead Missouri 54-46, 11-42 to go in the second half. Unfortunately for the Gators, this is one of those instances where a win tonight means absolutely nothing because Missouri is awful. So a win, you get nothing, but a loss would be horrific. So Florida trying to hold on for what would be essentially a meaningless win, but it's way better than a horrific loss. Gators up 8, 11.42 to go in the second half against Missouri, who comes into tonight 0-14 in the SEC. That's 0-14 in the SEC. So we will certainly keep you updated. But obviously, a lot of stories tonight in the world of the National Football League, the combine going on. Mel Kuyper Jr. has a new mock draft. And I will tell you this, with all the mock drafts that I've seen over the last few weeks, I am ready to make a proclamation. I'm ready to make a, dare I say, guarantee based on all these mock drafts that have the same guy coming to Jacksonville. That's coming up in one moment. Guest lineup looks like this. Chad Forbes at NFL Draft Bites on Twitter. Whether you love him, whether you hate him, the guy gives his honest opinion, man. He doesn't sugarcoat a whole lot, which is why we love having Chad on. He doesn't sugarcoat a lot when it comes to the Jaguars either. So he'll join us coming up here in about 15 minutes or so. Back into college basketball at the top of the 9 o'clock hour, Mike DeCourcy. He is an absolute encyclopedia when it comes to March Madness and college basketball. We'll certainly spend some time on Florida, the Southeastern Conference, bubble teams, all of that with Mike DeCourcy. That comes up at about 9 o'clock this evening. But... Every night here on Hacker After Dark, we do kick it off with a big deal of the night. And let's do that right now. Dylan Denmark, your big deal of the night. Time now for the big deal of the night. What's the big deal? What is the big deal? It is a big deal. On Hacker After Dark. Man, that is mock draft season. Now, Mel Kuyper Jr. came out with 2.0 today. So we're not really into the nuts and bolts of it yet. It doesn't get serious until about 4.0. Brother, let me tell you something. You get to mock draft 4.0, then you got something to talk about. Or you got something to dissect. 1.0, they're throwing things. They're throwing darts at a dartboard. 2.0, all right, little information. Same thing with 3.0. But once 4.0 gets here, early April, well, then it's go time. So Mel Kuyper Jr. earlier today came out with Mock Draft 2.0. And he is falling in line with a lot of other Mock Drafts that I have seen. 
Has the Jaguars going defensive back in round one? Fair enough. Trent Baalke even alluded to that yesterday with his comments up in Indianapolis. The Jaguars need to look at corner, need to look at defensive back. And he has a young man from Toledo named Quinion Mitchell coming to Jacksonville. And what Mel Kuyper Jr. has about Quinion Mitchell in regards to Jacksonville. Mel says, I thought about offensive line. The Jags ranked 29th in pass block win rate last season and wide receiver with this pick. But let's look to the best defense. Uh, let's look to the defense instead. I wrote earlier that it's a strange draft, and that's especially true with cornerbacks. There's no league consensus on a number one guy. And then he goes on to say Mitchell is in the conversation for one of the best corners in this year's draft. Let me tell you why Quinion Mitchell is not going to come to Jacksonville. Because everybody thinks he's coming to Jacksonville. This happens every year. One mock draft will hear something from somebody and they'll put it on a website. Other mock drafts will follow suit. It is smokescreen season. It is rumor season. Time and time and time again, for year after year after year, right about late February, early March, where we are now, a lot of these mock drafts will have the same player coming to Jacksonville, just like they do now with Toledo cornerback Quinion Mitchell. And I could never actually remember a time where these mock drafts were right regarding the Jaguars, regardless of the coaching staff, regardless of the general manager and the upper management team. I think the Jaguars need help at corner. I'm going to be very interested to see what they do with Darius Williams. But to me, I've learned over the years that when the same guy is being mocked to the Jaguars consistently, that likely means he is not coming to Jacksonville, which is what I think about Quinion Mitchell. Now, could the Jaguars go defensive back? Yeah, they could. Could they take Quinion Mitchell? Yeah, I suppose. But if history repeats itself, that likely won't be the case. I agree corner is a need because you got Tyson Campbell, right? You got Darius Williams if you don't cut him. If you cut Darius Williams, it's a really big need. Trey Herndon is an unrestricted free agent. But you got young guys like Monteric Brown. We'll see what happens with Greg Jr. I go back to week 18 against Tennessee. Season on the line. And, man, you got absolutely manhandled on the line of scrimmage. Your offensive line got pushed all over the place. You couldn't run the ball for anything. Your defensive line was an embarrassment. Derrick Henry ran for whatever he ran for. There were gaps as wide as the Sahara Desert that he ran through. Jacksonville lacks physicality. Look at those playoff teams, man. Look at Kansas City's defense. Look at Baltimore. Look at Buffalo. Physical, hard-hitting, tough defenses, and for that matter, offenses in their own right. Isaiah Pacheco and that Kansas City offensive line. Baltimore's huge offensive line. Buffalo with Josh Allen and James Cook. That's what, to me, Jacksonville needs. Now, if they address that in free agency, if we're sitting here in 12 days 
and they've addressed the O-line or the D-line, then maybe to me, yeah, at that point, corner may go number one on my board in the draft. But for right now, in late February, prior to free agency, I do not want a defensive back. I do not want a wide receiver. I want a big ugly on the line of scrimmage, whether that's interior offensive line or interior defensive line. It won't be the sexiest pick. It won't be the most glamorous pick. It's not going to sell a lot of season tickets. But to me, it is what this football team needs in a desperate, desperate way. And I can tell you this, too. I did not like what I heard from Jaguar general manager Trent Baalke yesterday and Doug Peterson, for that matter, regarding the offensive line. Doug came out there in Indianapolis and said, you know what? We had a lot of injury concerns. You never saw our five main guys play together all but one game. Well, yeah, there's a reason for that. You were so bad at left guard, you had to go trade for Ezra Cleveland. Luke Fortner, if he is the starting center, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, I don't even know how to sugarcoat that. Right guard, Brandon Sheriff, good player, but he's 33, right? Time has caught up with him. I love Anton Harrison. I love Cam Robinson, although Cam Robinson's going to cost an awful lot. Although I feel more confident they're going to keep him after listening yesterday than I did prior to that, listening to Balky and to Peterson. So I think your tackles are pretty much set. Cam will be your left tackle. Anton Harrison will be your right tackle. The interior three, I have no idea. Are you going to re-sign Ezra Cleveland? I'd like to. I saw enough of him to think that he was probably your best interior lineman down the stretch. The problem with that is he's 27. He has over 50 career starts in the NFL, and he's probably going to get some money. I had the guys from Spot Track and PFF on earlier uh, in February, and they both told me Ezra Cleveland, guys like that don't hit the market very often. 27-year-olds coming off the rookie deal that have 50 career starts at guard that actually get on the market as free agents, he could be a sought-after guy in 12 days. Luke Fortner, I want him on the roster. I think he'll be one of your 10 best offensive linemen in training camp. I don't think he should be your starting center. And Brandon Sheriff, I would probably cut cut him, but you got to find somebody to replace him. And I'm not ready to put Cooper Hodges in there, who's never put it down in the NFL regular season, who was a seventh-round pick. Trevor Lawrence had knee injuries, shoulder injuries, a concussion, an ankle. He was beat to heck at the end of the year. And why was he beat to heck? Well, <clears throat> he didn't protect himself that well, which we've talked about. But he didn't get protected very well either. <clears throat> so, to me, offensive line is a must in free agency or the draft. And as far as the interior defensive line goes, Trayvon Walker, I think, is going to be a beast. We know Josh Allen is a beast. What else you got? Are you satisfied with Roy Robertson Harris? Are you satisfied with Devon Hamilton? Although he played not 100% at all last season. Fadakasi, I've heard he may be a cap casualty. 
Would you miss him if he was gone? They got some issues on the interior D-line, too. That's what I'm saying. You know, you talk about Devin Lloyd and you talk about the linebacking core. Well, these guys didn't get a whole lot of help either from their interior D-line. The interior D-line needs to eat up those blockers for the linebackers to make plays. Now, Lloyd needs to get in the right gap, which hopefully Ryan Nielsen will address that, the new D coordinator. But I thought the interior D-line left a lot to be desired last year as well. So to me, that's where it starts, man. I need 315 pounders on the O-line and the D-line in the draft or in free agency, probably both. <clears throat> Excuse me. But I don't like seeing all these defensive backs going in round one. Now, again, you cut Darius Williams, it's a different story. But for the here and now, Darius Williams is here. So I need somebody on the line of scrimmage. 641-1010 is the phone number. We're glad you're with us. Denmark, I haven't seen you in a couple of days, man. How are things? Uh, all is good right now. Uh, pretty tired, <laughs> but I'm, I'm hanging in there. Yeah, your schedule's a little bit different this week as JJ's on vacation. How are the boys at Jaguars today treating you? Yeah, they're good. Uh, JJ's honeymooning. He's in Rome and I think Florence. Uh, but, man, I've still been busy, man. We had a track meet yesterday, and uh, we did pretty good. There was a lot of talent out there around pretty much the whole north side and West Side and Riverside, we're all out there. Uh, there's a lot of town in this city. You know, everybody talks about football and baseball and basketball, and that's all true about the town that goes to the next level. Uh, track is pretty much the same, man. Uh, it's it's all out there. You got kids running the hundred meter in ten seconds, which is uh, which is pretty fast. So it was uh, it was pretty good yesterday at Reigns High School. Well, that's good, man. That's good. I saw a preview. I guess we forget. You know, the Olympics are in five months. Oh, yeah. Isn't that wild? So oh, yeah. all these test trials for swimming and track and all this stuff is coming up. The Olympics were a year later because of COVID, and it feels like they just happened. But, no, the Summer Olympics are in five months. It's wild to think about that. By the way, Florida's messing around. Yeah, they're only up five. They're absolutely messing around. They're up three now. It's 61-58, seven minutes to go. Again, a win means nothing. A loss tonight is horrific. You're playing a team in Missouri that has played 14 SEC games and that has lost them all. They're 0-14. In Gainesville, it's a three-point game with seven minutes to go. We'll keep you updated. Coming up next, my buddy Chad Forbes at NFL Draft Bites on Twitter. The guy loves the rumors. He loves talking to people around the league. I think he has some information. We'll talk to Chad about the Jags, about the draft, about free agency, and more. That's next. Hacker After Dark rolls on. 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. The NFL offseason rolling right along. The combine going on up in Indianapolis. We are now inside of two weeks until NFL free agency, and we are inside of two months until the National Football League draft. With that, my buddy Chad Forbes at NFL Draft Bites. Don't ask Chad's opinion if you don't want an honest answer. That's why we love having him on 1010XL. Chad, how we doing? Feels like just yesterday was the Super Bowl, and now we're into the NFL hot stove, which is one of my favorite times of the year. There's no doubt, and I know you love it. Following you on social media, you get a lot of information from a lot of people around the league. Chad, let's dive right into the Jaguars. Let's not wait, and we'll begin with Josh Allen. I mean, franchise tag or long-term extension, 
anything else is an absolute disaster come May 5th, correct? They've got so much to sort out this offseason. Just put the franchise tag on him and then deal with it again come training camp. He's going to ask for a long-term deal. He's going to want that right away. But unless someone's going to give you two first-round picks for Josh Allen, he's going to be back on that field in September, hopefully with a long-term deal. Do you believe Josh Allen should be paid as a top-five edge rusher? Right. Well, that market is around $30 million plus, and that was prior to the salary cap increase. So the franchise tag is going to be around $22 million. And, uh, yeah, he's, he's a $30 million a year edge rusher in this league if he got to the open market. They've got some leverage with that tag, but – you know, it's going to be tough to pay everybody, so it'll be interesting if they get the deal done with Josh. You know, a lot of salary cap websites were going off a projected $242 million cap. We found out last week, Chad, it's going to be $255 million. That extra $13 million for each club, how big a deal actually is that? It just means the players are going to get more money, right? It's going to require teams mandatory cash spending to outlay some more cash. And, you know, certain positions that were under squeeze are guys that were going to get cut. Maybe they, you know, survive. I think these guys that got the proven performance escalator, which basically adds about a million and a half, two million dollars to your salary. Last offseason, when the cap was tight, we saw a bunch of those guys get either renegotiated or cut. So I think it'll help the middle class player a little bit. But in the end of the day, the league, the the stars get paid, whether that cap was two forty five or two fifty five. The Josh Allen's of the world are gonna get their money. Chad Forbes here with us on ten ten XL in Jacksonville. All right, Chad, if the Jaguars franchise Josh Allen, as we anticipate that likely means Calvin Ridley will hit the market on Monday, March the 11th. We know T. Higgins has been franchised in Cincinnati. All the rumors are Pittman's going to get it in Indy. Mike Evans apparently does not want to leave Tampa at this stage of his career. So all of a sudden, Calvin Ridley may be the hottest commodity in free agency for the wide receiver position. It'll be interesting to see what his market is. You can see a team like the Chiefs getting involved. And does he approach the Christian Kirk number, which is you know $18 million a year? which you can adjust for the cap increases, more like 22, 23 million per season. Don't see that market for them. Teams are getting really into drafting their wide receivers and developing their own guys and having them cheap. So it'll be interesting. Ridley's market could be great. I'm, I'm just, I can't really get a good gauge on it uh, right now. How vital do you think he is for what the Jaguars want to do moving forward? Josh Allen's more important. Sorting out that offensive line, if it means getting in a new center, that, to me, has to be a priority. Wide receiver is something that, you know, maybe it's a Darnell Mooney or another tier guy who kind of fits the mold of what they're looking for. You don't have to go out there and overpay guys like you did in the past when there was no quarterback. You've got Trevor Lawrence now. Guys want to pay with him. So when that Christian Kirk deal was done, it was an outlier. Everybody said, oh, my gosh, they gave him so much money. Well, now guys are going to want to play with John, with uh, Trevor Lawrence. And you've also got the benefit of in Florida of no state taxes. So, I think you can be patient on the wide receiver position and potentially address it in the draft. You know, you mentioned the offensive line. Amazingly, the third most important free agent for the Jaguars is a guy that played like eight games here. They got him at the trade deadline, Ezra Cleveland. I've been surprised talking to people around the league, Chad. 27 years old, 50 career starts. They think, people I've talked to, think that there's going to be a market for Ezra Cleveland, and that number for him may prohibit Jacksonville from keeping him. What's your thought there? There's two positions that are very deep in free agency. It's the interior offensive line, and there's a bunch of off-ball linebackers that can play. So a couple guys are going to get money early. Teams are going to covet their services coming off these rookie contracts, Ezra Cleveland types, Damian Lewis, Jonah Jackson, Kevin Dotson. There's probably about 15 starting guards coming off rookie deals. Seven or eight of them are going to get the big long-term deal. 
there's going to be another half of those guys, 78 guys, that are sitting out there looking for money. So, you know, I think you got to look at the whole league. You can't just let your offensive line coach run player personnel. Take a look at some other guys. Think about moving the scheme along. I'd love to see them go after the center from the Broncos, Lloyd Cushenberry. That'd be my big swing. He's an LSU guy. I'd bring in his former teammate, Shadiq Charles. And I would basically rebuild the left side of that offensive line with a little bit more power. Yeah, no, I like that. As far as the guard position, I mean, what are we thinking for a guy like Cleveland? Could we be talking, I don't know, $12, $13 million a year, maybe more? Those guards, Dotson and Robert Hunt for the Dolphins, most people are projecting to get $15 to $16 million. With the second-tier guys, which I would put Cleveland a little bit below, like a Jonah Jackson – uh, Damian, he's one of the Damian Lewis group, John Simpson from the Ravens. There's a bunch of them. I think they're more eight to 10. Maybe one of them, you know, gets 11, but it's going to be that not all 15 of these guards that are really starters in the league are going to end up getting the big contracts. Chad Forbes at NFL draft bites on social media is where you find him. Chad, as we start looking around the league, I want to get there in a moment. Final in-house Jaguar free agents after Allen Ridley and Cleveland, then you get into the Jamal Agnews of the world, the Dewan Smoots of the world, potentially a Trey Herndon, some of the longest-tenured Jaguars, as a matter of fact. Do you see any future in Jacksonville for an Agnew, a Smoot, or a Herndon? Well, Herndon and Smoot are candidates for that new kind of mid-level exception for veterans where you can bring them back, I guess, on the cheap, and it still counts as a minimum salary. Herndon would probably be the one you bring back over Smoot. I see guys like Shatley gone and – the kicker, it sounds like he's going to go in a different direction. Apparently, he's going to have a pretty good market at McManus. So, those second kind of lower-level free agents, just give it all the heavy lifting they've got to do. You know, you got to let them test the market and see if they're still sitting there, you know, after the first wave of free agency is over. Yeah, certainly the first wave will be very interesting. Again, Monday, March 11th is when that begins. And, Chad, prior to Monday, March 11th, we should have some clarity on guys that are going to be cap casualties. You're already seeing that. We saw Shaq Barrett earlier this week in Tampa. You're going to see it more and more. Here in Jacksonville, I know you said a couple of weeks ago you're hearing Fadakasi, the D-tackle, maybe on the way out. What else are you hearing in regards to Jaguars cutting cap getting into that March 11th deadline? You've got the decision where you can you know push the money down the road, whether it's with void years or restructuring. Right, which only puts a burden on the future cap, or you could say it's time to get out from these deals. The one that might surprise some people, but maybe even Brandon Scherf, they say, let's get out of this a year early. I, I don't think they do that. He's a very good player, really still at a Pro Bowl level. But Fadakasi, Rayshon Jenkins, those two guys strike me as ones that could be cap casualties. If you lose Ridley, then you can't cut Zay Jones, right? I mean, you can't lose both of them. I, I'd keep Zay Jones. I think he's a good player. I think some things off the field distract him a little bit this year. He was adjusting to a new role in the offense. I do not think Parker Washington is ready to fill his shoes. And Zay's a good player. And, you know, sometimes we think guys, are, he's not getting old, but they have one down season and we kind of think of them as like a bygone. But I still think he's got a lot of good football left in him and it's a pretty reasonable contract for a wide receiver. As far as other Jaguars that may be shown the door, Cam Robinson and Darius Williams, literally the Jaguars could save $28 million if they cut those guys. The problem, of course, if you cut those guys, you got to find starting caliber players to replace them. Quick thought on uh, Chad on both Cam Robinson and Darius Williams. Uh, Darius Williams, I expect to be back. He's a good corner. Uh, the, the corner marketing for agency isn't great. And these guys, last offseason, we saw it with like a Cam Sutton. They're getting big money. 
And after, you know, the Super Bowl and the success the Chiefs had, everybody wants corners. So I see Darius Williams back, Robinson. It comes down to the medicals if he's healthy. But that offensive line, you know, I always say that I'm permanently worried about all 32 offensive lines. That's kind of my, my phrase. But the Jaguars one really does concern me. All right, final Jaguar question, then in our time left, we'll look around the league. We won't pin you down to it, but I'm curious because you're certainly a guy in the know. You have a lot of connections around the league. Allen, Ridley, Cleveland. Of those three, who will be back in Jaguar uniforms, in your opinion, in 2024? Only Josh Allen. Wow, so you think Ridley and Cleveland are gone. The closer we get, the closer I, I think I might agree with you on that. All right, AFC South. The Titans have a billion dollars to spend. I think Tennessee's offseason this year will be much like the Jaguars' offseason two years ago. The question is, how diligent will they be with their money, Chad, or do you think it's going to be a spending frenzy in Nashville? Uh, It'll be interesting if they re-sign some of the guys that are hitting the market, their own free agents. Obviously, they weren't a very good team last last season, but they got some guys hitting the market that are good players but not great. In free agency, they'll want to address wide receiver, but, you know, there's not many out there. Who's going to want to go down there and play with Will Levis? There's not really great offensive tackle options available outside of maybe like a Jonah Williams. They tried to do the offensive line in free agency last year, and it didn't work out. You really got to draft and develop your own offensive lineman. Uh, you know, the Titans, I mean, they're going to spend some money because they've got to, but I just think they're just weren't digging themselves a hole, digging themselves a hole at this point. Do you believe the Saquon Barkley, Derrick Henry talk in Houston? Uh, I see Derrick Henry in Dallas. That's the kind of back they're looking for. Saquon Barkley, uh, I think Chicago. I don't think he's going to have a big, robust market for himself. The Giants made an offer to him, I guess now, about 18 months ago, where they wanted to pay him $14 million a year, and he turned that down. The cap's gone up from there, about $15 million. And I don't see him getting $14 million on this open market, so – you know, sure, he played the franchise tag last year, but I think in hindsight, Saquon made a mistake not taking the deal the Giants offered. Final moments with Chad Forbes. You follow him at NFL Draft Bites. Chad, the number one pick in the draft. We are at the Combine this week. Obviously, Caleb Williams appears to be that man. Chicago owns the pick. They have Justin Fields. How do you think that plays itself out? Well, Fields doesn't have a big market for himself. Atlanta's not interested. The Raiders certainly aren't. It's a one-team race with the Pittsburgh Steelers being kind of lukewarm, want to see how the rest of the market sorts itself out. They're showing some interest in Russell Wilson, apparently. But ultimately, Justin Fields is going to end up in Pittsburgh, and the Steelers are trying to find a way to acquire the player without giving up their third-round pick in this year's draft. Wow, and that's crazy, and I've heard kind of the same thing. Fields, to me, Chad, I mean, he's got some good moments, certainly. Obviously, there's work to do there, but – my gracious, for, for going for a, maybe a third or less and only one team appears interested, are you surprised by that? I'm not, and he just hasn't been great in Chicago. And it's a passing league, and he showed some injuries last year. And with the Raiders and the Falcons, which are the two teams that you know people opine might be interested, you're talking about the first year of new coaching staffs, and I don't think their big first signature move is going to be to acquire the guy that was a cast-off from the team picking first overall in the draft. Russell Wilson, Kirk Cousins, their futures, in your opinion? You know, Cousins still is going to want the big money, and that's that's the rumblings out there. And then there's guys like Russell Wilson who might be playing for the veterans' minimum if he's cut by Denver. Do you want to pay Kirk Cousins 30 to $35 million a year? It's the same discussion with Baker Mayfield down in Tampa. And eventually, you know, I, we always have this discussion, will they pay the quarterback, and they, they always seem to. So, you know, maybe Cousins gets that money, but I'm having trouble finding where his market is. 
And what I said on Twitter today was if he was smart, he'd say I've made $240 million in this league, right? Why push for another 35? Why don't I take a one-year $20 million deal for everybody that I'm healthy again and go to a team where I can actually win a championship? You know, they talk about the legal tampering period beginning Monday, March 11th. That's ridiculous. It's beginning now in Indianapolis right. if it hasn't begun already. What other juicy rumors? I know you hear a lot of stuff. What else are you hearing, maybe Jaguar, AFC South related, or any other rumor that you've heard in the last couple of days? I've heard the Jaguars, the Bears are two teams that are heavily looking at centers and interior offensive linemen, which makes a lot of sense, specifically left guards. Uh, the big rumor out there is that Daniel Hunter and the Commanders are probably going to find a deal. He's a guy that Jaguars fans have wanted for a while, and the idea of pairing him with them, you know, on that defensive line would have been awesome. But he's you know, the rumor is that he's heading to D.C. You hear the Cowboys are going to go after Grover Stewart and a big defensive tackle. Uh, people are talking about the market might be light for Patrick Queen, who's the Ravens' inside linebacker. And last offseason, even with you know the linebacker you guys have there in Jacksonville, Guys have gotten big deals, but people think that's going to kind of cease to exist for Mr. Queen. And uh, the corner market. Everybody seems to be after Jerry Steve, including apparently the Denver Broncos. I think that's some sort of bizarre smokescreen coming out of the mile high from Sean Payton. Yeah, there's a lot out there. You know, you got to kind of filter it out and try to read what's what's real and what's just, you know, smoke. But, uh, you know, it's the most fun time of year for me. I love it. Yeah, there's no doubt with what you do. Final question. You mentioned Daniil Hunter. So you're here in Washington, huh? Because there's a lot of talk about him down here. Yeah, we're here in Washington, 23 $24 million a year. Houston's interested. And if Houston doesn't bring back Jonathan Grenard, he'll also be a candidate to go to D.C. So they're kind of playing a little bit of musical chairs there. And then a guy that's going to hit the trade market is Khalil Mack. He's a Florida boy from down in uh, Fort Pierce. He's got about $24 million owed to him the final year of his contract, entering his age 33 season. He's going to get moved, and the compensation won't be as high as the last time he got traded, but uh, he'll be on a new team come the start of the season. If you want to follow a guy that talks to people all over the league, it's a lot of tidbits, a lot of rumors. Chad Forbes is that man at NFL Draft Bites on Twitter. Chad, I know you're busy. Thank you for the time. Let's do it again a week or two after free agency, and we'll see where the dust is settled. It sounds great. I'm going to go practice my 40. There you go. Chad Forbes here with us on Hacker After Dark. And it's interesting, you know, the Daniil Hunter thing. Boy, I would love that. Absolutely love that. But again, you don't have a ton of money under the cap. You got to figure out about re-signing some of your own guys. And as much as I would love Daniil Hunter, does that really solve your problem? I mean, I would love Hunter, Walker, and Allen on the field together but if teams can run right up the middle on you, I, I don't know if you've solved anything. And again, I, if I have money to spend, I'm going to want to protect Trevor Lawrence, which means I'm going to want to get some better offensive linemen in than what the Jaguars currently have. So these are all answers that Trent Baalke is going to have to, uh, or questions that Trent Baalke is going to have to answer. And again, it's going to happen pretty quick, right? We are 12 days away from NFL free agency, Monday, March the 11th. Now, the deadline for the franchise tag is a week from today, Wednesday, March 5th. So, by next week, when you and I are talking next Wednesday, we're going to know if Josh Allen has been re-signed long-term or if he has had the tag put on him. Because one of those two things is going to happen. I, I would be, um, what's a good word, uh, flabbergasted if one of those two things does not happen by one week from this evening. So, well, that'll be the first domino. And then to me, and I've told you guys this all week, 
Denmark, let me ask you. I'm of the opinion that Calvin Ridley now, that's starting to feel more like Jawan Taylor to me from last year. Once Taylor hit the market, it was over. The Jaguars were not going to be able to bring him back. I'm getting the vibe that if Ridley gets to the market in 12 days, particularly now with T. Higgins being franchised, the rumor about Michael Pittman Jr. and Indy being franchised, Mike Evans apparently doesn't really want to leave Tampa at this point in his career. Ridley might be the best wide receiver in free agency. I think if he gets to the market, somebody's going to overspend for him. Yeah, he'll be the best receiver available. Somebody's going to spend a bag on him, as they say, and uh, it'll come down to do you want to get the bag somewhere else, whether it be whoever, or do you want to take probably less money in Jacksonville? And I, I've kind of came to a conclusion I, like last Friday. I don't know why this came to me, but I feel like he's going to leave and take a bag somewhere. You just can't pass up $25, 26000000 million, I think, if you're Calvin Ridley from another team yeah I, I get the sense that if he hits then again maybe the Jaguars re-sign him which would again cost them a second round pick to Atlanta that is what complicates it a little bit but I think if Ridley gets to the market in 12 days the free agent market I think he's probably going to be elsewhere in 2024 more on the Jaguars coming up again Mike DeCourcy uh has covered college basketball for years sporting news and Fox he'll join us in less than 25 minutes, Florida survives Missouri. But kudos to the Gators. Didn't play their best, although Tyree Samuel did. He played out of his mind. But Florida wins 83-72, I believe, was the final. The Gators get their 20th win of the year. They're now 20-8. and They're now 10-5 and in the Southeastern Conference. And I think that all but wraps up an NCAA tournament bid. I mean, if they lose their last three and lose in the first round of the SEC tournament, lose four in a row, maybe they'll be on the bubble. But you win 20 games and you win 10 games in the SEC this year, you're probably in the NCAA tournament. Missouri now 0-15. Yikes on the season in SEC play. Coming up more on the National Football League, we'll look around. The NFL, as the combine rolls on, in fact, on the field work, begins tomorrow up in Indianapolis with Dylan Denmark, the Hacker Ryan Green with you. Jacksonville, we're glad you're with us. It's a Wednesday night edition of Hacker After Dark right here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. Yes, it is. 13 minutes before the 9 o'clock hour. We'll take you up to 10 o'clock as we do every night here on Hacker After Dark. Probably should mention this more. We used to mention it all the time. Streaming for your viewing pleasure all over the place now. We really expanded the streaming. Denmark, remember when you and I were the only uh, people that were streaming? Oh, yeah. I had to set the iPad and make sure I was hitting the recording button and all that stuff. Yeah, and the the, the cavemen were out there uh, drawing on on the walls. Had to run from the dinosaurs. Yeah, exactly. That was a long time ago we had to set up the iPad and position it perfectly. Now, well, we're a streaming machine here at 1010XL. Are you kidding me? You can check us out, 1010XL Facebook, 1010XL, I guess, X, right? 1010XL YouTube. still Twitter. It's still Twitter. I still refer to it as Twitter. But we're always streaming for your viewing pleasure. So you're at the house. Don't have a radio nearby or don't have your app open for whatever reason. You can always find us right there. YouTube, Twitter, 
Facebook, you name it. All right, they're on the field tomorrow at the scouting combine. I believe the first position's out. D-line and linebackers. Yep, it's going to have me watching. I'm that guy. I will at some point, probably Friday or Saturday, look at myself in the mirror and be like, what are you doing? Because I am going to watch a nauseating amount of the scouting combine. I'm going to dissect the three-cone drill. I'm going to really get after it on the up-downs. And I'm going to watch every 40-yard dash that they televise on the NFL Network. Why am I going to do that? Because I'm sick, I guess. There's no other logical explanation. I am the guy, the reason why they put that on the NFL Network, people like me. Because I will watch four days of it. And I will be looking at the interior D-lineman tomorrow to give you my thoughts and my analysis, Denmark, tomorrow night on a Thursday night edition of Hacker After Dark because I want an interior D-lineman or an interior O-lineman. I want a big ugly on the line of scrimmage. I don't care what side of the ball. Just get me a 320-pounder on either the O-line or the D-line in round one. If they address it in free agency, my thoughts will change. But the here and now, that's what I want the Jaguars to do. They need to help the line of scrimmage before you worry about branching out to DB or wide receiver, at least early on this offseason. Zach Wilson in New York, allowed to seek permission for a trade. Good luck with that. Nothing against Zach Wilson, but what on earth has Zach Wilson done that is going to want to make anybody trade anything for him? Maybe a seventh rounder in the 2029 draft you could probably get for Zach Wilson. But hopefully he goes to greener pastures outside of New York. Things work better for him. It has not worked well in three years in the NFL. Marquez Valdez-Scantling. Won a Super Bowl 17 days ago. He's now looking for work. Cut by the Kansas City Chiefs. Life comes at you quick, right? You just won a Super Bowl two and a half weeks ago. Remember Valdez Scantling had the absolutely critical catch in Buffalo to win that game. No, I'm sorry, Baltimore. It was the Baltimore game. It was the AFC Championship game. Valdez Scantling caught the ball that sealed the game for Kansas City about a month ago, and now he's all looking for a new employer as Kansas City cuts him again. $12 million are what the Chiefs save by cutting MVS. You look at other situations. We talk about Mel Kuyper's mock draft that came out earlier today. Quarterback, 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 one, two, and three. Caleb Williams, one. Jaden Daniels, two. And Drake May, three. The more you see, the more mock drafts you look at, and quite frankly, the more people you talk to that cover the draft, and we certainly talk to a lot of them, seem to have Jaden Daniels rising above Drake May. Denmark, you watched both guys. Your thoughts, Jaden Daniels versus Drake May, because it appears Daniels has maybe supplanted May in that number two spot. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, it seems like Drake May is from, depending on who you talk to about Drake May, it seems like he didn't 
perform because of a lot of the coaching at North Carolina, and he could be a, like a guy like Justin Herbert that could burst into the scene. I mean, whoever's going to be better between the two is going to de- be dependent 100% on who they go to and who they're coached by. The crazy thing about Jaden Daniels, now I did not watch a lot of him at Arizona State, but I've talked to people out in the Pac-12 that did. They said he was awful at times. Just awful. He comes to LSU and is absolutely incredible to the point he wins a Heisman Trophy. It is almost like Joe Burrow. Almost. Will he have the same career that Joe Burrow's had to this point? Well, obviously that's yet to be seen, but it does appear Caleb Williams is one, Jaden Daniels two, Drake May is three. I will tell you, I have finally found somebody. We'll play this interview, I don't know, later this week probably. One person that has Jaden Daniels above Caleb Williams. I found somebody that does not have Caleb Williams one. They have Jaden Daniels above him. They are in the minority, but at this time of year, you kind of like a differing of opinion. You like somebody to put their neck out there a little bit, and we'll talk more about that as the week goes on. But again, the combine, they're on the field tomorrow with the big defensive linemen and the linebackers. Coming up next, we'll shift gears into the world of college basketball. The Gators get their 20th win tonight over Missouri. Let's talk to Mike DeCorsi, Sporting News. You also see his bracket up on Fox Sports. He is a college basketball encyclopedia. Let's talk March Madness. Let's talk Florida. Let's talk SEC and more. Mike DeCorsi talking college hoops with you next on Hacker After Dark. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. Well, March Madness is officially about to hit March as we are winding down the month of February. Believe it or not, conference tournaments will begin in about a week and a half. And as far as the Florida Gators go, they only have a handful of regular season games left before the Southeastern Conference Tournament. With all that being said, Mike DeCourcy has covered college basketball for years, does a terrific job for the sporting news. He's also a part of Fox Sports bracket coverage. And Mike joins us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Mike, how you doing? I am doing very well. Absolutely. March is almost here, man. Yeah, no question about it. And for the Florida Gators, it's a different story, Mike, than maybe we've had in years past. The season did not look like it was going to be good about a month ago. And then all of a sudden they go to Rupp Arena and knock off Kentucky. And really since then, Florida has been one of the hottest teams in the Southeastern Conference. Yeah, you like to think that even if Reed Shepard had helped out there, instead of guarding the lane, he had made sure he had his, his man covered, that even if that shot hadn't gotten off as easily as it did, and obviously it connected, that uh, that Florida still would have found a way to become this team. I think they would have, but that victory really did energize the Gators and send them on this path to toward, not to the very top of the bracket, but toward the front end of the NCAA tournament bracket. If they continue on the path they are now, they're going to have a a, a fairly attractive seed. If they, they have the opportunity uh, to make it a really comfortable seed, I mean, they would have to do some exceptional things down the stretch, uh, uh, you know, win at South Carolina and then take Alabama too, uh, and then do some real damage in the tournament. Uh, but if they did those things, uh, 
they would have they would be looking at the possibility of, of climbing to a five or so what? and that's a good spot to be. And where do you have them right now? I've seen them as an eight, a seven, a six. Is that about where you have them as well? Yeah, right now I have them as a seven. Uh, the six line is very soft. It, 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 there, I think there are others that have them as a six. Um, I, I think it's it's very possible for them to climb there and past it. The the six is very soft. The five is is not soft, but it's volatile. Dayton has been dropping games. Kentucky, we know they can either go out and wreck one of the teams from Alabama or they can lose to LSU. Uh, and Wisconsin uh, of late uh, has been somewhat vulnerable. Uh, so it, so there's there's room for Florida to grow. And like I said, that Alabama comes in, that would be a big win. Uh Winning at South Carolina will not be easy. That's a team that maybe has lost a little bit of its fastball from where it was early in February, but they're still a very veteran team that defends exceptionally well. But it, the, you know, those two games are bracketed by two games that you absolutely have to win, uh, Missouri and Vandy, the two lowest teams in the, in the conference. I, I like where the Gators are right now. Mike DeCourcy, Sporting News, here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Mike, when you talk about Todd Golden, a lot of Gator fans were not sold on him after last year, certainly, and quite frankly, maybe not sold on him as of about four weeks ago. But, boy, he's obviously growing on them now as these wins accumulate. Still one of the youngest coaches in all of college basketball. What are your thoughts on Todd Golden? I think he's done a terrific job, and it's what frustrates me about people making such quick decisions about coaches. You know, he did a really, he did really good work at San Francisco. Um, I, would I would would I have done that higher? I'm not, you know, not to insult him, but I probably wouldn't have because you're, you know, when you take a coach all the way across the country, it often doesn't work. Uh, but in this, but it sometimes does, and in this case, they made the decision, and he certainly had good coaching in his background he'd done a nice job so see how it works out you're not going to get rid of a coach after one year just give him time and I I think he's done a terrific job the season in the league didn't start the way maybe they'd hoped but now you go back and that win over Pitt uh, that they have didn't seem like a lot at the time but Pitt's recovered uh, and and is playing really well and it may not be a it may not be an elite victory, but it certainly helps with the resume. And then you look at what they've done lately, and and it all adds up really well. I I think he's done he's done great, and they did some good things in the transfer portal. Uh, they get their best shooters good shots, which is a lot of the deal, and they defend comfortably. I mean, they they they're I don't think they're a game changing defensive team, but they do their job. And, and so I, I like, you know, I, like I said, I like where they are now. Obviously, it's things change faster now than they ever have before. So out of this year, they're going to have to use the momentum that they, they've built uh, to continue adding to the roster. But I, I just don't think that there's much room for complaint with where the Gators are in year two. You talk about the transfer portal, Mike. I mean, I don't know if it's Dan Cross and Craig Brown or Lee Humphrey and Torian Green, but getting Walter Clayton – and Zion Pullen. You also get Tyree Samuel. You get Micah Hanlock. Then, I mean, some people don't like the transfer portal, but it's here to stay. And for Florida's benefit, 
boy, Todd Golden cleaned up in that thing last year. Oh, yes, he did. Yes, he did. The toughness that Samuel brings, the shooting of Poland, uh, it, it, it's all been a, a great addition. And it's, like I said, it's completely remade the team from where they were in year one. It, I, you can't expect somebody to, unless they're left, you know, I don't know, let's say Billy had left after the 2006. I mean, you would expect that whoever would have replaced him better do a good job with Lee and, and, uh, and Yach, uh, and Yoakum and, and that group, uh, you, you, that, but not everybody gets the left, uh, you know, a championship level team. Uh, you, you get left, uh, the guys that usually cause you to have to make a change or the, in this case, the, the other coach to decide that it was a good time for him to leave. So I, I think you have to be patient and, and that patience, uh, whoever was, is being rewarded at this point. A couple of more from Mike DeCourcy of the Sporting News covering the world of college basketball. Mike, the Southeastern Conference, as we all know, it just means more on the gridiron, right? Football conference. <laughs> yeah, my gracious. I mean, aside from the Big 12, you could make the argument the SEC, and even with the Big 12, is right in the conversation for the best conference in America right now. Why is the SEC having the year that it's having? Well, they over the last, I guess it's about the last seven or eight years. I can't remember when they hired Dan Leibovitz and and brought in Mike Trangizi as a consultant. I can't remember what year that was, but when they did that, it, they made a uh, they made a reaffirming effort to be better at basketball instead of just letting Kentucky and Florida win all the games, everybody else kind of said, okay, we're in this for real too. And so you saw great hires. Auburn it, uh, would bring in Bruce Pearl and, uh, and Arkansas would bring in uh, Musselman and, and et cetera, et cetera. And it is all done really well for the league. Uh, the, the bad transition at Vandy uh, hasn't been good for the league overall, but honestly, if you're, uh, you know, if you're someone like Kentucky or, or Tennessee, you're kind of glad Vandy messed up and let go of Bryce Drew because that's one you, – you can use one fewer tough game, uh, especially those trips to Memorial Gym. I mean, they could be really brutal uh, for those teams that, that had to go there regularly. Uh, right now, it's it, – you know, it's a it, – there aren't very many uh, teams in the league where you can say to yourself, I don't have to be at my very best to win this game. Uh, that's, and that's a, that's a credit to the strength of the league. Uh, and, and again, it, it, it went back to them saying, uh, we got to get better. We got to do better when we have an opening, we got to do better at hiring coaches. Uh, we got to schedule better so that our, the good teams that we have are showcased and have resumes for when they get to March. And it's, it's all being, it's all being rewarded now has been for the last several years. Mike, in your bracket, how many teams from the SEC do you have in? I believe the count's at nine right now. And, and Ole Miss is hanging on by a fingernail. Um, they obviously have to do some good work down the stretch. And they also, I mean, if they if it, if it stays where it is now, they also would have to hope for the perfect world scenario where Dayton doesn't lose the Atlantic 10, et cetera. There aren't a lot of those. Uh, you'd have to have someone outside of Gonzaga, St. Mary's, win the WCC. That's almost certainly not going to happen. Uh, I don't know if Florida Atlantic, if they continue to fall, whether they're going to be a surefire at large. Uh, so, but you'd still rather if you're if you're an Ole Miss or someone like that in that in that category. 
you'd rather Florida Atlantic get their act together, go out and win their league tournament and, and make it a non-issue. Final moments, Mike DeCourcy of the Sporting News. Mike, you're an encyclopedia when it comes to the sport, so I'm curious your thoughts. Five or six years ago, we didn't ever hear quad one win, right, or quad two win. And then all of a sudden right. that term developed, I think like 2018 is when it did. Do you like the way the committee does it now, breaking it into quads and you know crediting teams for wins and getting hurt by the quad four loss, that sort of thing? Yeah, I I, I, I was there when the concept was developed. It, uh, it wasn't, believe me, it wasn't me developing it. I, I can barely add three and three, right? <laughs> but uh, but I was around when they were looking at those things. They wanted a basketball voice in the room that maybe wasn't just, you know, a, a basketball and a math voice or just a math voice. Uh, and so I was there and, and it was, it was discussed how the old circumstance where it was top 50, top hundred and that sort of thing, or top 25 wins, uh, all based on the old RPI, that that wasn't really efficient because in reality, if you looked at it statistically, it was harder to win against an average team on the road than it was to beat a good team at home. Uh, and so it, they, they worked out the quads and yeah, it takes a little bit of understanding, but once you, you know, if you look at uh, a site like warrennolan.com, uh, which does a great job of breaking down the net and, and, and shows you what teams' records are uh, against the various quads, it, it's really not that hard to keep track of. And it's, you know, people say, okay, what's a quad one to me? What's a quad two? And sometimes I, even I forget the numbers. Like, what's, it, I know it's like one to 30 for home games, and it's like one to 50 for neutral, and it's, I think it's one to seventy-five for for uh, uh, I'm sorry one to yeah one to, one to thirty at home and then one to seventy-five for road. Um, but like what's two? I don't I don't know what quad two is off the top of my head. Uh, so even even somebody who lives in this uh, for six months does I don't know all the numbers that def- differentiates the quad, but I can look at it and see what is quad one and quad two very easily. Yeah, it's certainly an interesting science. There's no question about that. All right, Mike, as we begin to wrap up, 68 are going to get in, honestly, this year. 10, 12, how many teams realistically have a shot to cut down the nets when all is said and done? Well, it's probably usually closer to seven or eight most years because the one thing to remember is, and this is held now with almost almost without exception, for a, for thirty more thir, more than thirty years, uh, you got to have a pro or two, a guy who guys who are going to be selected in the first round of the draft. You have to have them. Everybody since nineteen eighty seven has eighty seven was the last time when Steve Alford was a second round pick. That's the last time a champion did not have a first round pick. You have to be top twenty in offense and defense at Ken Palm. Every team but UConn in twenty fourteen, which was thirty ninth in offense. Uh, every team, but that year, uh, has has been top twenty in both. Uh, I make an exception for Baylor because they were like twenty two or something like that on D uh, because of the COVID year in twenty one because they missed games and guys missed games and so the numbers were all askew. But they used their defense to wreck the number one offense in literally four minutes of the championship game. If there had been a full season, they would have been first or second in the country in D. So that you have to have those caliber qualities. You have to have a point guard who most does it help if he's a pro? Yes. Doesn't have to be a pro though, but he's got to be really good. He's got to be somebody that can set the table. He's got to be able to guard the ball. 
Uh, he's got to get the ball where it needs to be. You have to have all those qualities. So, like, Illinois, really good, lots of good players, good coach, uh, high high efficiency numbers and all that, but they don't have a point guard. So they can get to the Final Four maybe, but at some point in those last two games, there's it's not going to be enough. And there are other teams that are really, really good, loaded with college basketball players that are that are terrific in their league and but are, aren't going to be first-round picks. And that's not going to happen. Those teams are not winning it. it, it they're out there. I mean – uh, we we've seen that year after year teams will people will say oh i picked so and so to win you're out of your pool now cuz they're not going to win it they, they they don't have any pros so you have to have these qualities and until somebody goes out there and does it without those i'm i'm going to always say got to check those boxes or you're losing your pool mike final question the good folks here in jacksonville and the gainesville area they like the fact that florida is the last team to repeat as national champions. So they're keeping mm-hmm. a close eye on UConn. Is UConn clearly the favorite when this thing starts up in a couple of weeks? Yes. Uh, as long as they are intact, they are. They are. They have all those qualities that I talked about. Tristan Newton at point guard, uh, who's already won one. Uh, they've got multiple first-round picks. At, at the very least, Donovan Klingen, their center, and Stefan Castle, their freshman wing. Uh, they've got a coach who's done it before. They've got uh, t- easily top 20 offense and top 20 defense. And so they have all the qualities that I talked about uh, that, that you need in order to win it. It also helps. And one of the things I left out is some, you got to have a guy who can break down a defense because you get to that level and the coaches are, are so good and they've spent so much time. They, they, they forgo sleep and they break down all the tape and they put defenses out there that, your, that your scheme, your plan, your, your basic offense isn't going to break down, but you've got a guy. It could be like, say, Jalen Brunson, who's taking the ball and he's going past all your people. It doesn't matter. He's going he's gonna to score. And you have to have somebody like that, too, and UConn has that. So th- there's nobody else out there that has as many of those qualities or in such, or in such high degree as they do. You can check out Mike DeCourcy's 68-team field at Fox Sports. He also does a terrific job for the sporting news. Mike, I know you're busy. Thank you so much for taking time out. We'll do it again really soon, my friend. It was my pleasure. Thank you. This is Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. Oh, yeah. It's actually airing right now, the debut season 46 of Survivor. A show that has been going on for 24 years. Longest running reality TV show ever on network television. 24 years, man. Remember Richard Hatch won the first season back in the year 2000. And now here we are in 2024, and it's going strong with the same host, Jeff Probst. I'm a geek. I'm going to watch it. It's got me. DVR'd it. Going to watch it when I get home. Denmark, I already know the answer probably, but I'll ask anyway. Survivor, do anything for you? Negative. You know what's interesting about that? I watched it even when I was in high school. This isn't an old guy thing now because I'm 40 years old. I've watched Survivor for 24 years. I absolutely love it. The idea of having to befriend people and work together 
and then to ultimately stab them in the back and vote them out for a million dollars is a great concept, man. It is just a terrific concept, which is probably why it is the longest-running network reality TV show of all time. Now entering season 46, year 24, just because people continue every single year to watch Survivor. But I'll keep you updated. I know you're interested, so I'll uh, I'll keep you updated on a weekly basis. How about Please that? do. I will. I will. I'm excited to do that. I'm also excited about the Combine. They're on the field tomorrow up in Indianapolis. The defensive line and the linebackers will be the first two position groups out, I believe, starting at 3 o'clock tomorrow afternoon. Luke Easterling of Athlon Sports and Sports Illustrated has covered the draft for a long time. He's one of the guys that I love talking to about the NFL draft. We'll talk Jags. We'll talk some of the Jags' young players and – We'll obviously look ahead to this 2024 draft class. Luke Easterling of SI and Athlon Sports next on a Wednesday night edition of Hacker After Dark with Dylan Denmark. The Hacker Ryan Green with you right here on 1010XL and on 92.5 FM. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, your home of the Jacksonville Jaguars. The offseason, well, it's really going to take shape very soon. Franchise tags are being handed out between now and March the 5th. Of course, the Combine next week up in Indianapolis, and we are less than three weeks away from NFL free agency. With all that being said, Luke Easterling does a great job for Athlon Sports, and he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Luke, how you doing? Doing great, Ryan. Thanks for having me, man. Hey, Luke, always appreciate the conversation. All right, the Jaguars. I want to talk about the draft class, some of the younger guys, but just a broad overview, Luke. It's been six-plus weeks now since the collapse as we're calling it here. The Jaguars only the sixth team since the turn of the century to start 8-3 and three and miss the playoffs. What did you make of what happened here in Duval County over the last month and a half of the year? You know, I think things just snowballed once the injuries started started really taking hold at, at key positions. And, and, you know, nobody wants to make excuses and everybody wants to point to, yeah, everybody gets banged up and everybody's, you know, less than 100% at the end of the year. But I think if you're being honest about where those injuries happened, how serious they were, how many games some of those guys missed, you know, you got your quarterback gutting through it and trying to play at less than 100%. You're, you're losing key guys for so much of that stretch that I feel like it's not making an excuse to point to that and say, hey, this is a big reason why that, that collapse started to snowball down the, down the stretch. But, you know, it, that that's what you have to look to moving forward. How do we improve the depth at certain positions to avoid this in the in 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 the future? How do we how do we build around the quarterback to keep him healthier? Uh, and, and I think that's what you know. Obviously, you saw some coaching moves in the offseason, retooling the defensive staff, uh, and, and hopefully there's there's some improvement there from a scheme perspective on that side of the ball. But you know. It, this isn't Doug Peterson's first rodeo. Uh, you know, I, I think Jaguars fans should trust that that if they can if they can have a, a solid offseason to fill some of those holes, improve the depth in those areas where those injuries took hold so 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 significantly, 
um, I think there's no reason to believe they won't be contending again. The absolutely crazy thing is the Jaguars benefited from the Titans' collapse in 2022 to win the division, and literally the same thing happened in the opposite direction to Jacksonville in 2023. Luke, one of the positives, though, and there weren't many in the last six weeks, but one of the positives I thought was Trayvon Walker. I thought Trayvon Walker really started to find himself. He ended up with 10 sacks on the year, double digits going from three and a half to 10 from year one to year two. What did you make of Trayvon Walker this past season? Yeah, it's funny. I, you know, if you were to ask me that question without me knowing, you know, your own opinion on that, that's who I would have said, you know, that's what I would have said was the brightest spot down that stretch. And, you know, I, I really think this was, this was the scouting report coming out on him, right? Was, the the physical tools are all there. You've got such a rare combination of size and athleticism and versatility to play inside, to play outside. But you knew it was going to take some time, right? If they if they had wanted a, a, a straight out of the box impact player who's going to you know have a very defined role and and you just do this and you're going to from day one you're going to be that player. They would have taken Aiden Hutchinson, who obviously has been that player in Detroit, and they had the opportunity to take him there. You know, that's not what they went with. They went with the guy who they thought had the, 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 the higher upside because of the athleticism and the versatility with the understanding that it was probably going to take some patience because he was a better athlete than a, a ready-made football player coming out uh, of Georgia. And so you're starting to see that patience pay off, I think. And part of it is on the coaching side, they're figuring out how to move him around and, and use him situationally. When do you leave him outside opposite Josh Allen? When do you slide him inside on those passing downs and try to create those one-on-one matchups with the guards on the inside uh, where his explosiveness can really shine through and he's still big enough to beat those interior guys with power? And I think you know you, the light has started to come on. You saw that over the last few weeks of the season. The production is following that as well. And, and you got to think that the, there's still – so much more room for him to grow, and that's really what should have Jags fans excited about him moving forward. Luke Easterling does a great job covering the NFL and the NFL draft for Athlon Sports. He's with us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Quickly, Luke, the other guy drafted in the first round in 2022, Devin Lloyd, did not have the same uh, upward trajectory, I guess, of Trayvon Walker. Do you have concerns about Devin Lloyd moving forward? You know, it, it's a year can make such a huge difference, and and so you're hoping that this off season, that that same that same moment where the light comes on, you're hoping that happens for Devin Lloyd. Obviously, he's playing alongside one of the best linebackers, they were the best off ball linebackers in the game, uh, and you're hoping some of that rubs off. But um, you know, again, the physical tools are there with him. You know, you've, he's got the the size and the athleticism. He's got that great length where he should be able to close down those passing lanes in in, uh, in zone coverage like like a basketball defender would. Um, so it's it's all there. You know, I, I think it's just a matter of him him getting comfortable with the scheme, see what, what happens with the defensive changes with the staff uh, this offseason. Uh, but the talent is still there for Devin Lloyd. You're just kind of waiting again for that moment that we saw from Trayvon Walker where it all starts to click. You know, pick 27 last year, the Jaguars took Anton Harrison out of Oklahoma. And truthfully, Luke, I didn't know very much about him, but I learned pretty quickly the guys out there liked him. Uh, some people thought he was going to go in the high second, maybe the low first was a little high. But I got to tell you, man, and I'm curious your thoughts, I thought of all the rookie offensive tackles last year, Anton Harrison didn't play second fiddle to anybody. I think he was in the conversation to be maybe the best rookie tackle in the league in 2023. I, I can't argue with that at all. And again, he's somebody I did a ton of research on because 
he was a guy that was linked to the Bucks, and I'm down here in the Tampa area. I've been covering the Bucks for a long time, and so I, you know, I, I knew quite a bit about Anton Harrison, and nothing he did last year surprised me. This is a guy who, you know, everybody wanted to say, oh, he's, you know, he's a little shorter than you want. Maybe he doesn't have the length that you want to tackle, and maybe he'll have to move inside the guard. But what he did have was a ton of starting experience against top talent. He had played left tackle. He had played a little bit of right tackle, I believe. And so you had you had experience, you had the physical tools, and, and the film spoke for itself. You know, if, if you're an inch shorter than you, you know, might want to be and your arms are an inch shorter than you want to be, but your film says that you know what you're doing from a technique perspective, you know how to use your physical tools to the best of their ability. Uh, that's what we saw on film from Anton Harrison, and, and that's really what we saw throughout his rookie season. So, again, you're talking about a player who – still just scratching the surface of his potential at the next level, but the early returns are already showing that this is an impact player at a premium position. I know in the work you do covering the NFL draft, uh, we're lucky here in Jacksonville that Anton Harrison developed because, good gracious, Brenton Strange and Tank Bigsby, there just wasn't a lot there in rounds two and three. Now, maybe there's room for them to develop, but I'm honest. I mean, I think Brenton Strange committed more holding penalties than he had catches, and I think Bigsby might have fumbled the ball more than he had first down runs. I mean, they they got to develop quick, right? Those picks are very questionable right now. Yeah, Bigsby's hurting my dynasty team for sure. That that <laughs> yeah. that, that one yeah. came back to bite me real bad. I, I liked I liked that pick. And again, you know, you never know what a year can do for for these guys. And and uh, you know, Brenton Strange again, a guy that tight ends coming out of Penn State are interesting because they really don't feature them in the in the passing game a whole lot but you would hope that that means that the the blocking technique would not lead to those types of penalties so what you do have with Brenton Strange is, is a ton of athleticism you still have a ton of potential there you're just hoping he can unlock it at some point and with Bigsby man I, I just feel like he got into a you know a, a when it rains it pours situation where when you when you deal with those those ball security issues so early in your career, it really can snowball mentally. So hopefully he can get a, you know, a refresh this off season. Um, it was really disappointing because his preseason was so strong. Remember? I mean, he, he really, really played well in, in the action he saw in the preseason games. And, and I think that's what led a lot of people like me in those fantasy leagues to be like, man, this kid's going to be a stud. Um, but again, hopefully he can just clear, clear out that rookie season, figure out maybe if there's some technique things. And again, that's on the coaching staff as well to kind of help him, cure what what ails him with some of the ball security issues but hopefully you know you still see a guy who can run well between the tackles he's got good vision and patience and hopefully if he can just hang on to the ball um he can be a different player luke easterling of athlon sports yeah that's my concern talking to people at auburn last year they love everything about bigsby great locker room guy good goal line back but they caught they said he was a fumbler and he comes to jacksonville and what happens he fumbles so that is something that he has got to get corrected. Luke, final thought before we look ahead to the 24 draft class. Jaguars, I think, found something in Antonio Johnson. I remember last year, Antonio Johnson out of A&M was in like second round and third round mocks leading up to the draft. And for some reason, he fell into round five and the Jaguars snatched him. And I remember thinking, wow, that why did he fall? He just shows up to training camp and the guy is enormous. I mean, I don't know if he's Cam Chancellor, but he's not far from the dynamics of that, uh, particularly when he gets in an NFL weight room for a couple of years. And I think right now the plan is to cut Rayshon Jenkins and have Antonio Johnson slide in there as a starting safety this upcoming year. I, I don't know why Johnson lasted to round five, but for the Jaguars' sake, I'm happy that he did. Yeah, your guess is as good as mine. I, I'd have to go back and look at my board, but I, I know I had him really, really high. I know he was a top 100 guy for me. Um, may have been close to the to the fifties. I, I can't remember, but man, I I was he was a guy I was definitely comfortable with on day two. 
Uh, so to get him in the fifth, I was I was shocked uh, to see him fall that far. And you really didn't have a reason. There was, you know, there wasn't like some big because a lot of times we'll find out after the fact. Right. We'll find out the next day after the draft, like, oh, he had a medical thing pop up or, you know, he had this, you know, surgery that maybe everybody wasn't aware of. Or this is some chronic issue or something, you know, something pops up sometimes with these guys that are that fall so far. And, and, and we're kind of surprised in the moment. But there's always a reason with him. I didn't see anything. I, I didn't understand why it happened. And then the way he played last year and made all of us who who had him uh, ranked a lot higher uh, made sense to us because that's what that's the player we saw on film back at Texas A&M. So, um, yeah, I, I feel like the Jaguars have, have nailed it. They've got a gem. He's got the versatility, too. He can line up in the slot and play nickel. He can play deep. So. Uh, definitely a, a home run pick there in, in the later rounds for the Jags last year. Final moments, Luke Easterling of Athlon Sports. All right, Luke, the 2024 draft class. I know you're putting mock drafts out like every day. I think you do a four-round mock uh, every Wednesday, as a matter of fact. So I think you probably did one earlier today. Uh, in totality, strong draft class, weak draft class. How would you assess it as a whole? I think it's, it's pretty strong up top. I, I think the first three rounds maybe even in the fourth round are really solid and I, I just think there's going to be a big drop off after that because you've got you've got this weird you know you got an opportunity for a deep class because you got so many of these super seniors right that, that, that took advantage of that extra COVID year of eligibility you got a lot of 23 24 year old guys that are coming out you know a little older than you're used to drafting guys but also with a lot more experience and so that could strengthen it but you also had so many fewer underclassmen declare this year I think we've been We've been over 100 for, for a while now. Every year we have over 100 underclassmen declare. I think we had 54 this year uh, or something like that. So, you know, NIL is obviously having a big impact on that. Guys are able to make money at the college level. Um, and if it's, you know, comparable to maybe what you would get on a late-round contract, you maybe want to wait and, and, and improve your draft stock with another season at the college level. But I think overall it's strong, and it's it's so strong at very specific positions that I think are very important. This receiver class might be the best receiver class I've ever seen in 25-ish years of doing this uh, type of work. I think the offensive tackle class is extremely strong up at the top, especially even the interior offensive line guys, which obviously will be music to the ears of Jaguars fans. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think overall a strong draft class. you got three elite quarterback prospects at the top. you got a solid second tier of quarterback prospects. The, the running back class doesn't have the top heaviness of last year's. But I think there's maybe 10 or 12 guys that will go in the middle rounds that I think could be starting caliber running backs. I like the corner class. Uh, you know, I, I think that uh, I think there's some talented edge guys in this class. The interior defensive lineman doesn't have like an elite prospect at the top. But again, really good depth there in the, in the second, third round range. You know, and you just brought it up again, Luke Easterling of Athlon Sports. The Jaguars, and we'll see what happens, Luke, in free agency. Free agency could change this narrative. But man, right now. They need some big uglies. All right, I need some 300-plus pounders on both sides of the ball. They got pushed around in Week 18 against Tennessee with their season on the line. They had no answer for the Titans' O-line or D-line, which is pretty embarrassing because the Titans' offensive line sucked yeah. the entire year until <laughs> Week 18. So, And, and the, the one guy, and I don't know why this has happened, Jackson Powers Johnson is like the most popular name in Jacksonville, Florida. And, and I don't know why a center from Oregon is the most popular name. That's all anybody's talking about because they're desperately trying to replace Luke Fortner. What is your thought on Jackson Powers Johnson, and could he be an option for Jacksonville at 17? I mean, I, I think he's a stud. I think he absolutely should, absolutely should be in that conversation at 17. And, again, if they do want to move on from Fortner, 
Um, he's the guy. He's he's the top center in this draft. I think he's worthy of a first round pick. I think 17 is is probably that range where you're going to have to start thinking about him anyway. Because look in the 20s, you've got Pittsburgh, you've got Miami, uh, you got Tampa Bay, you've got some teams that that need that guy as well, and would be trying to move into that range to maybe get ahead of some of those other teams. Uh, so if if you want him and he's there at 17, that's where you're going to have to take him. Um, the other guy I would say if they wanted to go guard instead of tackle or instead of center, uh, Troy Faltanu from, uh, from Washington, another West coast guy from the PAC 12. Um, but he played left tackle for the Huskies. I think he's a guard at the next level. And I think he's going to be a really, really good one. Uh, so again, whether they want to go center or guard, they're in a really nice spot there at 17, whether they want to go all offensive line, whether they want to go corner, they want to go receiver. Like I said, a really deep class there. Um, an edge guy could slip if they want to go edge, depending on what happens with Josh Allen long term. So I think the Jaguars are really nicely placed for where this board is going to fall at those positions of need uh, that they should be able to come away really, really happy in the first round. Luke, as we wrap up, I know you've been doing mock drafts for months now, and it'll obviously continue as we get closer to the draft. What are you normally mocking or who are you normally mocking to the Jags and say rounds one and two? You know, again, every every exercise is different, but they, consistently for me, the the position that gives them the best balance of need and value is, is corner. And and I think that I don't know how early we're going to start to see corners come off the board. And I like I really like the first four or five guys in that class. So re- regardless of when that run starts, I feel like at seventeen, there's there's quite a few guys. Terry on Arnold from Alabama, Kool Aid uh, McKinstry, obviously the other Alabama guy is going to be in that conversation, but. Qu- Quinion Mitchell from Toledo is a guy that I, I don't think a lot of people know about. Um, obviously coming out of the MAC, but just incredible film against MAC competition. Then he went to the Senior Bowl and was dominant all week against receivers from every Power Five uh, program. Had a had a huge production. Had a lot of interceptions, a lot of pass breakups at, at the college level. Uh, and again, the physical tools. I think he'll show off at the combine as well. He's the guy that tends to be the the most consistent name that I like to fit there. Again, the, the Darius Williams is 30 years old. You've got a stud on one side who's still young and Tyson Campbell. I think they need another impact corner on the outside, on the other side. And that seems to be the best match in most of these mocks that I do. Luke, great stuff, man. Tell the good folks here in Jacksonville about your work with Athlon Sports and where they can find you, your mock drafts, all that information. Yeah, so you can head over to athlonsports.com. I also run the NFL draft site for uh, Sports Illustrated, so si.com slash NFL slash draft. Uh, I write some mocks for uh, and do some content for SI as well. Um, so I've got a four-round mock draft that came out about an hour ago uh, over on the SI site. So definitely go check that out. You can find me on Twitter at Luke Easterling. Uh, and then anybody who who ri- reads our, if you're like me, since I was a kid, I read the Athlon NFL Draft Preview magazine every year. Uh, and uh, this year I was I was honored to to be able to do quite a bit of work on this year's edition. So that'll be coming out here. I know you can order it on our website already. Uh, but it'll be hitting newsstands here at the end of the month. So go out and go out and pick that up. It's, it's still nice to have a, a book in your hand, a physical copy to read. Uh, and we're, we're really proud of the work we put into this year's. No, that's absolutely terrific. Again, Luke Easterling of Athlon Sports and SI. Luke, thank you so much for the time, man. I know how busy you are. Maybe let's do it again after free agency. We'll see where the dust settles and where the Jaguars stand at that point. Really appreciate it, my friend. Absolutely. It's a great time, Ryan. Anytime. And thank you to Luke Easterling of Athlon Sports and SI for joining us tonight here on Hacker After Dark. As again, on the field work in the National Football League Combine begins tomorrow up in Indianapolis. And there'll actually be four days of on the field work, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. 
I believe 3 o'clock tomorrow is when you will see, I believe, the D-line and the linebackers are the first position groups out tomorrow. And I'm a nerd. I'm, I'm just uh, – they got me hook, line, and sinker. I will watch every bit of the cone drill, the 40-yard dash. I am locked in every year. Every year I watch that thing, and I'm thinking, what am I doing? Yet every year I watch it. So uh, I'm looking forward to it, and we will certainly enjoy it over the next four days up there in Indianapolis. And again, we are now 13 – or check that, I guess 12 days officially, 12 days – away from the start of NFL free agency, Monday, March 11th. Now, it's weird. Again, you got that two-day, what they call the legal tampering period. So you can negotiate and you can agree to terms on Monday, March the 11th. Penn cannot actually meet paper until two weeks from today, Wednesday, March the 13th. So we got two weeks from today until Penn can meet paper, but, of course, the um, free agency itself does begin in 12 days there on Monday, March the 11th. We'll see what the Jaguars do. A lot of interesting tidbits coming out of Indianapolis. Again, I told you guys last night I feel a little bit better, I guess is the word, about Cam Robinson being here in 2024 based on what I heard from Doug Peterson and Trent Balky yesterday. And I'm still of the opinion you franchise Josh Allen or you re-sign him, which will happen prior to March the 5th. But if Calvin Ridley hits free agency, I think he's probably gone. I think it's very similar to Jawan Taylor last year. Jawan Taylor hit free agency. He was gone four hours later. I get the feeling if you do not get Calvin Ridley re-signed by March the 11th and he hits the market, that he might be uh, swooped up there by another team. But we certainly shall. See, well, that'll just about do it for what has been a very, very busy Wednesday night edition of Hacker After Dark. We certainly appreciate you guys hanging out with us here on 1010XL and on 92.5 FM. We have a lot of people to thank. And Luke Easterling, Athlon Sports and SI. Always appreciate Luke joining us here on Hacker After Dark. Thank you to Mike DeCourcy. Mike has covered college basketball for a long time. He is one of the guys in the business to talk to. He's with the Sporting News. You can also check out Mike's bracket over there at Fox Sports. So thank you to Mike DeCourcy for taking time out for us tonight to talk a little NCAA tournament preview. Certainly talk a little Florida SEC as well. And back in hour number one, my buddy Chad Forbes at NFL Draft Bites on Twitter. I know what some of you feel about Chad that follow him. I like the guy. I, I think he does a great job. He's one of those guys where simply don't ask the question if you don't want an honest answer because he's going to tell you what he thinks. He's not going to sugarcoat a whole lot, and he hasn't about the Jaguars in recent history, and that's why we love having him on here on Hacker After Dark. Now, we'll be back tomorrow night on a Thursday, and we will do it all over again beginning at 8 o'clock. Dylan Denmark was your producer tonight. Dylan, great job as always. I'm the hacker Ryan Green. And again, Jacksonville, thank you for spending part of your Wednesday evening with us right here on Hacker After Dark on 1010XL and on 92.5 FM. So for all of us here on HAD, have an absolutely terrific remainder of your Wednesday evening, and we will do it all over again tomorrow night on a Thursday beginning at 8 o'clock.
Until then, good night, Jacksonville.